Welcome to the Publishers Podcast, your place for psychiatry soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. In this episode, I'll bring you up to date on our latest online selections of important peer-reviewed research and reviews for Part 1 of our September-October 2019 issue. You'll hear a transition tone between summaries. Let's get started. Our understanding of the protective factors that can buffer the relation between trauma and criminal justice involvement is limited. In this National Institute on Drug Abuse-sponsored study, researchers examined childhood trauma as a risk factor for later criminal justice involvement and the role of mentorship as a potential protective factor. Data on adolescence, young adulthood, and adulthood from the Ad Health dataset were used to examine how having a close mentor in adolescence impacted the relation between childhood traumatic events and later arrest and incarceration. Each traumatic event was examined separately and also as a combined trauma score, ranging from having no traumatic experiences to having five or more. Trauma scores were associated with two to almost 26 times the odds of criminal justice involvement in adolescence. In adulthood, trauma scores were associated with up to almost three times the odds of criminal justice involvement. Parental incarceration was consistently one of the traumas, if not the trauma, most strongly associated with arrest and incarceration. The link between trauma and criminal justice involvement was weaker for those who reported having a close mentor. Based on these results, the authors conclude that for those with a history of trauma, mentorship seems to be a potential intervention pathway to prevent criminal justice involvement. There has been increasing concern about the high risk of suicide among U.S. veterans, especially those with post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Among those at greatest risk are veterans recently discharged from inpatient or specialized intensive treatment programs. Little is known about clinical correlates of suicide attempts among such veterans, but gaining such information might facilitate prevention efforts. In the present study, researchers obtained the National Program Evaluation data at program entry and four months after discharge for over 30,000 veterans from 57 sites from 1993 to 2011. These veterans were discharged from specialized intensive PTSD programs in the Veterans Health Administration. Rates of attempted suicide were 10.6% in the four months prior to admission and 4.8% in the four months following discharge. Suicide attempts both prior to admission and after discharge were associated with psychiatric and substance abuse comorbidity and especially suicidal ideation and violent behavior. Clinical changes independently associated with post-discharge suicide attempts included increased suicidal thoughts, violent behavior, and alcohol use. In this longitudinal study, violent behavior assessed at admission and as a change measure after discharge, along with suicidal ideation and alcohol use, were associated with suicide attempts. The authors conclude that additional therapeutic attention to violent behavior and alcohol use, likely reflecting underlying impulsivity, 
may help reduce the risk of suicide attempts. Young people with the first episode of a psychotic illness have a high chance of achieving remission with a combination of psychosocial interventions and antipsychotic medication. Taking these medications, however, involves managing side effects such as weight gain, with the risk being particularly high for young, previously untreated patients. That's a problem, because a substantial weight gain puts young people at risk for the medical as well as personal and social problems that come with obesity. What we don't know is whether this weight gain continues over a long period of time or if the risk is limited mostly to a short period at the beginning of treatment. In this CME offering, Canadian researchers, as part of a publicly funded larger project, showed that the risk of weight gain with olanzapine, risperidone, or aripiprazole is highest at the beginning, starting in the first month of treatment and tapering off after the ninth month. While that sounds like good news, it also means that this common problem needs to be addressed at the same time the patient is trying to recover from the seriously impairing symptoms of psychosis. Therefore, both clinicians prescribing antipsychotics and the young people who take them should be aware of this small window of opportunity to initiate weight control strategies, such as diet and exercise, to avoid serious problems in the future. To read this article and take the CME post-test, please visit the JCP website at psychiatrist.com. People are moving across the globe more than ever before, so there is a growing need to look at the mental health of migrant populations. Mental disorders during pregnancy are common and can lead to worse outcomes for both mother and infant. This study aimed to look at just how common mental disorders are for migrant women during pregnancy. With funding support from the National Institute for Health Research, the authors interviewed a sample of 545 women attending their first antenatal appointment at a London hospital to collect information about their migration status and other variables. Participants were assessed for mental disorders using a semi-structured gold standard diagnostic interview. Common mental disorders were present in 21% of migrant women and 24% of UK-born women, with no significant difference between groups. However, migrant women, especially those with insecure immigration status, were at increased risk of post-traumatic stress disorder. When ethnicity was included in analyses, there was no effect of migrant status for white women, but for ethnic minority women, being a migrant reduced the risk of common mental disorders. The authors conclude that immigration status, ethnicity, and other intersecting aspects of social disadvantage need to be investigated simultaneously. It is important to assess for mental disorders in pregnancy and for post-traumatic stress disorder among migrant women. This article is freely available online. Please visit the JCP website at psychiatrist.com. The utility of routine laboratory screening in children and adolescents with mood or anxiety disorders has received limited attention. To address this knowledge gap, Lufton colleagues with funding from the National Institute of Mental Health determined the prevalence of abnormal measures of thyroid-stimulating hormone, or TSH, in youth with severe mood and anxiety disorders. 
They also sought to determine the clinical and demographic predictors of abnormal measures. The authors retrospectively examined screening TSH concentrations in psychiatrically hospitalized children and adolescents aged 3 to 19 years with mood or anxiety disorders at a large urban pediatric hospital. They extracted data from medical records using adaptive natural language processing algorithms to aid in identifying predictors of abnormal TSH measures. While 6% of patients had abnormal measures, less than 15% of these patients had an abnormal free or total T4 level or other biochemical findings consistent with thyroid disease. Based on symptom associations, the investigators recommend that targeted screening of pediatric patients with mood and anxiety disorders should focus on patients with recent weight gain, those treated with benzodiazepines, and girls with a history of abnormal uterine bleeding. Listen to experts from a live panel session as they discuss the integration of novel antidepressants in the treatment of major depressive disorder. This live session was held at the 2019 American Society of Clinical Psychopharmacology Annual Meeting and supported by an educational grant from Decatur and Lindbeck. Dr. Morrow describes the current understanding of depression etiology and offers new insights into antidepressant development. Dr. Goldberg shares his expertise about whether antidepressant drugs with novel mechanisms of action can improve outcomes in patients with major depressive disorder. Dr. Gaines reviews the link between major depressive disorder and elevated mortality risk and whether recovery from depression can reverse patients' mortality risk. Dr. Citrone discusses current best practices and new medications for the treatment of depression. Finally, Dr. Ketter provides his thoughts on his colleagues' presentations. To listen to these presentations, view the accompanying slides, and take the CME post-test, please visit the CME Institute on the JCP website at psychiatrist.com. Medical marijuana has been approved in the majority of U.S. states. However, it remains a Schedule I drug and has no currently accepted medical use in this country. In addition, despite the proliferation of marijuana-infused products in the marketplace, these products are not regulated by the FDA. This presents a challenge for physicians treating patients who use medical marijuana. A recent ASCP Corner article provides physicians with an overview of medical marijuana, the current state of evidence or lack thereof for marijuana in psychiatric indications, and the potential risks, side effects, and drug interactions that may be encountered. This article is freely available online. Please visit the JCP website at psychiatrist.com. In closing, be sure to visit us online for interactive activities from our CME Institute and more from the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. You can view the newest online offerings from Part 1 of the September-October 2019 issue on the JCP website at psychiatrist.com. Thanks for listening. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me next month for the publisher's podcast, your place for psychiatry soundbites.